Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's kind of all over the place as we're hopping on the mic, and a lot of that has to do with me not plugging my headphones in, and I didn't realize, wait, is there something wrong with the system? But no, it's just not plugging it in, and so that's on me. This is how the show starts as Colin leaves the studio. Of course, you know what we were talking about. Fitty has the R.J. Davis shirt on today. Colin was talking about how awful that game was supposed to get for a little while. And then R.J. Davis, of course, had the 40-point performance. It was almost overshadowed by an all-time meltdown. Wes, what was it like for you (laughs) watching North Carolina almost lose that game last night to Miami that they eventually won, but they almost lost it. And your boy, not-so-boy, the guy you affectionately, not-so-affectionately call Tiny Tim, goes for over (laughs) 40. But it was almost in what was a terrible loss to the Canes. Yeah, man. I mean, as I was sitting there, I legit told my girlfriend when Miami started coming back because when they hit the three to go up 11, I was like, all right, that's game time. I was like, Carolina's about to open this thing up. And then when Miami came back, I said, God, I don't deserve this. I said, I don't deserve this. I said, what's about to happen here? Because I just knew Miami was going to get a steal and hit a walk-off three or something like that to get a win. But they just couldn't secure an offensive rebound. But it just goes back to what we're talking about. Carolina is backing into the ACC tournament. They're not as strong-looking as they were at the midpoint of this season. It took a gargantuan effort from a small man, a.k.a. Tiny Tim, for them to get a win over Miami who we thought that Carolina was going to take care of handily. And, um, you know, Armando Bacay, he's going through another stretch quietly where we're just not seeing much from him offensively. The rebounding has still been there, but we're not seeing the point output uh, that you'd like to see from him. And so uh, it it looks at this point like Carolina's offense and this team in general goes. uh, They come and go as R.J. Davis comes and goes. How worried should we be? Let's get off the bus, talking some heels basketball, shall we? Mr. Bus Driver, go ahead and open up the doors. Let's pull up to the scene. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Damn! Kick it! I can feel it! The heels avoided what would have been called the Miami game last night. (laughs) If they would have lost that game, that would have been an absolute all-time heels loss. Given R.J. Davis going for 42 points, the most points ever scored in the Dean Dome, not since anything. We don't have to put that caveat there. It's the most points ever scored in the Dean Dome. Tyler Hansborough was the last one to have that record with 40, and they almost lost. (laughs) And this was after a double-digit victory that we all thought was going to happen even before tip-off because they didn't have Nigel Pack, and they were out a couple of players. Miami was hurt. They're already disappointing. This isn't a road game for the Heels, which they've struggled. They struggled against Miami this year on the road. So they were going to take care of business here. This is what they do, especially in Chapel Hill. And then all of a sudden, Miami started coming back. They started pressing. Doesn't matter if you have some small guards and Elliott Cadeau and R.J. Davis. They were turning the ball over. Not R.J. as much, but Cadeau, especially with the pass. That was a turnover in the backcourt. Turned three 
Oh, bleep. It's a two-point game now. Don't forget the travel by Harrison Ingram. Whew. Lots of terrible basketball at the end of this one for the Heels. It was almost the Miami game. If you were to force me to pick what the Miami game is now in Carolina sports lore, it would be a win over the Miami football team when Connor Barth hit a field goal to win that thing in the early 2000s. But it would have changed. You would have said, hey, what's the Canes game? Oh, it's that one R.J. Davis scored 40 and they found a way to lose. But they didn't. Here's Hubert Davis talking about R.J. Davis's performance last night. What he did tonight, I know he, he had to score 42 points, but the type of performance that he had tonight, he's been having all season. And, you know, he put the team on his back. It wasn't just uh, his points. I thought he was great defensively, took care of the basketball, distributed, you know, rebound, boxed out, and, you know, we need we needed every bit of his 42 tonight. He was fantastic. I told him after the game that uh, I've seen another a number of performances here at Carolina and also the NBA. Very few have I seen um, this type of performance that he had tonight. I was really proud of him. What's the bigger storyline, Wes? Is it R.J. Davis going for 42, a career high, a Dean Dome record, or is it Carolina almost losing this thing after a double-digit lead late in the second? Uh, You know, I think, again, tremendous, tremendous performance by R.J. Davis. He certainly must have heard uh, what we said yesterday, that his player of the year could be up in the air, but he answered that resoundingly, and I think that he more than likely closed that argument last night. But again, like I said, Armando Baycott, five points, 12 rebounds. Elliot Cadeau, six points. Uh, Cormac Ryan, seven points. Harrison Ingram, uh, eight points. And I just think that, as I said, Carolina coming down the stretch of this season, they look like they are starting to lose a little bit of the steam that they had midway through the season when they look like a juggernaut and they look like a team destined for the Final Four. Now, my only question and my only pushback against myself is that is this team getting bored? Did this team get complacent after they ran through the ACC to start this thing and got to that uh, tremendous 10, 11, 12 uh, games in the beginning in which they were dominating everybody? Is this team just getting bored either waiting for the ACC tournament or waiting for the NCAA tournament? That could be my only counter uh, to the issues, but... Again, once they get to March and they play against more complete teams that are really good defensively, they can score from multiple uh, parts of the court, you know, three-point land, mid-range, down in the paint. Are they going to have enough, especially if R.J. Davis is not having a big-time night? Let's go to the FanDuel text line. Get your thoughts on the Heels game. 704-570-9610. Heat fan says, we all know we get everybody's best shot. Guys that don't usually hit shots were hitting shots. I was annoyed, yes, but I'm not worried. That is true. Miami was excellent from three-point range, especially in the first half and then especially late. 910 said, y'all are acting like Miami won. Go Heels. All caps. UConn Adams says UConn broke Miami in the Final Four last year. Heels avoided a landmine loss. And finally, Hillbilly Hater writes in, I'm not worried at all. I fully expect the Heels to choke out in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. You flipped it, (laughs) Hillbilly. You flipped up the hate. I want to go inside the walls of Fiddy's home and watch what Fiddy's reaction was during that potential meltdown. That would have been great to see. Fiddy, tell us what was going through your mind watching North Carolina almost blow that game and then what would have ruined a 40-point performance from rj davis it's really interesting you bring this up we got a uh, a new puppy at the house and i was uh i was doing a little bit of babysitting with the new pup last night so he was up in the bed and in the first half 
he was kind of asleep while I'm just kind of sitting there Uh-oh. realizing what this game is going to be. Like, this is a prototypical, we're not going to play great, but we're going to win. Then we're going to, we'll talk about the rest later. Don't tell us you threw the puppy. Didn't Don't throw tell the puppy. Okay. <laughs> but there was like seven times when RJ went unconscious from three, followed by a stupid turnover where the what the four-letter word after that he starts like whining and my uh, my cousin actually just comes and, and takes him away because she feels like it was I was being a bad influence. Um, it's the best performance I've ever seen by a Carolina guard. It's the second best performance I've ever seen by a Carolina basketball player behind what Bryce Johnson did at Florida State where he had 39 and 23. Are you saying regular season or are you saying overall? That I've ever seen. In 42 at home, it's right up there with Bryce Johnson's 39 and 23, Harrison Barnes scoring 40 against Clemson in the ACC tournament. But this team does not know how to close games out. They don't know how to finish games out. They don't know how to finish off their opponent. And that's a real dangerous thing to be playing with this late into the season with March right around the corner. You say that, but they did win. They did win, but... Walker, you didn't score the last four minutes in 17, or you didn't make a field goal the last 417. You didn't make a field goal at Miami the last 407. You didn't make a field goal the last three and a half at Georgia Tech. You had a nine-minute stretch on Saturday without a field goal. I hear a lot of offensive problems. Yeah. They're, they're closing games out in just a very different way that's a little more uncomfortable. And two weeks ago when they quit playing against Miami, because they quit playing, I blamed it all on Hubert Davis. Because I thought it was mandated for them to play a different way. Last night was just a lack of execution. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't get the ball inside accurately. Cormac Ryan, who yeah, who come out of the shooting slump, bro, you one of nine from three. Well, let me ask Wes this question because I already kicked this to you and Colin. Mm-hmm. But lots of offensive problems that you were just talking about, and their offense can get stagnant. That has proven to be an issue. They're closing these games out for the most part, but they're doing so because of their rebounding. Harrison Ingram and Baycott, they're going to go ahead and gobble those boards up. And also they're doing so with some pretty impressive defense. Maybe not as much against Miami, but Miami just got hot from three. And we know how three-point luck can come into effect every once in a while. I watched the Charlotte Hornets beat the Minnesota Timberwolves this year because Carl Anthony Towns scored 44 in the first half, and then it was all about how many points we can get Carl Anthony Towns. The Heels did the same exact thing. In the last couple of possessions where they had a double-digit lead, and after RJ hits one of the ridiculous three-pointers that he hit last night, they decided, hey, man, we should go for the half-century mark. Let's just feed R.J. Davis as constantly as much as we possibly can and see how much he can go for. In that process, Miami messes around and they come back. Now, what's a little tough for me to try to balance here is the fact that R.J. did hit a couple of tough shots. And so, okay, sure, let's just feed the guy that does have 40 as we speak and the, the points to get to 39, the bucket to get to 39. That's when the whole crowd was about to go ballistic. But they did very Carl Anthony Towns-like stuff in the fact that they wanted R.J. to get as many points as they could and they didn't play offense the right way anymore and that's what allowed Miami to get into this game. They started stat pad, man. They all wanted R.J. to go for those buckets and I'm 
I'm cool with it. I wanted to see 50 myself. I was selfish too. I'm right here. Until Mm -hmm. Miami. (laughs) Until Miami started to make it real close. And I was like, oh, okay, let's just go ahead and play the normal brand of basketball that got you the lead in the first place. What do you think about Carl Anthony Towns being comparable to R.J. Davis last night? Yeah, I mean, I I can see those comparisons. And again, he did have the hot hand. I mean, he was hitting some unbelievable buckets. And so, yeah, when you've got a guy that's shooting... 7 seven of 11 from three-point lane, you're going to keep getting him the basketball. It's just that some of the other guys, you would like to see more consistent performances out of them, and I think that's also hurting them. As Fiddy said, they're having trouble closing games. And if R.J. Davis doesn't have it, who is going to be that closer for you? Because you know in March you're going to need another guy that you can depend on besides your main guy. If you're playing a really good basketball team and they take your number one option away, who's going to be that second closer for the Hills? And I think that's the question that they need to answer uh, before they get into the NCAA tournament. You know, Wes, you, you've been very critical of Armando and the time that we've been a show. And, and I think a lot of it's been justified because he hasn't developed, you know, a NBA-S game. Yeah. And I've, I've defended him because I think he's a really, really good college basketball player. Last night was inexcusable, man. Like, you never once made your presence felt on the inside. You went and battled with Omir in his building two weeks ago. And last night, it just never felt like he was he was there. He never made his presence felt on the offensive end. He was still rebounding the ball because that's just a given. Oh, you know, Mondo's going to get to the glass. But I think that's something that's been frustrating is you have 25-10 and 5 against Duke, and it's the ACC runs through me. And then in two of the games since then, you've disappeared and your team's almost gotten beat. And that's a that's a real that's a real hard thing to as someone that has defended him all year because this fan base has carved him up left and right. He's got to be better, man, for this team to reach their true and fullest potential. I look at this heels team, and I still take the glass half full approach because I've seen North Carolina get to deep runs in the NCAA tournament. Not last year, didn't even make it. That's a real thing to bring up. But two years ago, R.J. Davis was good in the tournament. Armando Baycott had a double-double in literally every single game that you could possibly have a double-double. From the first round to the championship game. The only way you could get more is if you played a first four game and then made it all the way to the championship. So those guys know how to play once they get to the NCAA tournament. I also, even if we've seen a few games where they can't hit shots, that's an issue. I can't expect Harrison Ingram to go 3 of 13 alongside Cormac Ryan, 3 of 13, constantly. And if we'll look back at when North Carolina was playing very well, against good competition, by the way, it felt feels like they were just hitting more shots. So the outside shot is something that I wouldn't want them to rely as much on. And I think when they're missing, that's when you want Armando to show up. And that didn't happen last night. And so that's an issue for sure. I just think that's something that they are going to be able to fix once they get to postseason play. And also, I just can't expect 6 of 26 from two starting players in your shooting guard and small forward position as much. But we'll see. We'll see what North Carolina does. Do you think they're bored? No, I don't think they're bored. No, they're not bored. Their coach won't let them be bored. If they were bored, I don't think I would see them get as many boards. That was a lame joke, but (laughs) but I'm going to roll with it. No, Armando's not bored. Armando just didn't execute. Armando had the basketball poked Mm -hmm. away from his hands a million times last night, turning it over. Anytime he would try to go up, somebody would just put their hand in there real quickly, and then he'd get blocked. Harrison Ingram had five steals and ten rebounds. Like, I, you know, I don't think that they're bored. I just think they weren't executing. My only thing is, too, is just I'm wondering, too, you know, with these games, with this stretch of games where it's been underwhelming, are teams starting to build that book on them? So that when they do get to the ACC tournament and to the 
and to the NCAA tournament teams start to get a book on them based off this play. Maybe. I just don't think they're bored, but that's true. Like the, the first point might be true. Let's move on. Let's uh, transition to the Carolina Panthers. Joe Person, Mike Kay, also of the Charlotte Observer, each of those beat writers did a deep dive on Dan Morgan. So we're getting a lot of info on your new general manager of the Carolina Panthers. Should we feel better about what we've read about your new general manager and an old legend? Here with the Panthers organization. It's coming up next. Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. People are concerned about the puppy watching Tar Heels games with Fiddy. <laughs> You can text in and share your concern on our FanDuel text line, 704-570-9610. That's exactly what Matt in Greensboro is doing. Fiddy, please don't watch any more Heels games with the puppy. It's going to think its name is What the Bleep. <laughs> it was so funny is uh, my cousin, she she came upstairs and like, so she sees that he's sitting like kind of in my lap and she goes, oh, like, because she thinks it's so cute. Mm-hmm. And then we do something stupid and I just... <laughs> What the? And she goes, oh, okay, let's just let's just go downstairs. And she took. Can't she, listen to that kind of language right now. Now, here, here's the problem. And I know she doesn't listen, so we can talk about it. She named the dog. His name is Dorian. <laughs> That's a, I, it's something about me is that there's not many things I love more than a human name for a dog. I will laugh at it every time. <laughs> <laughs> the dog named Dorian is is a good one for me. I'll never forget one time I was at my buddy's house for the first time. And I mean, a big old fat cat walks into the living room. I mean, it is wide. It is a behemoth of a cat. And he walks in and he paws at the couch because he can't jump up on it. (laughs) He's he's, meow, meow, (laughs) trying to get up on the couch. Can't do it because he's probably... 25, 30 pounds, okay? Like, this thing was saved, and so just to not paint these people out to be the worst humans feeding this cat until it can't jump up on the couch anymore, said, oh, goodness gracious, it's big. We kind of laugh at how big it is. I said, hey, what's the name of the cat? His name is Christopher. (laughs) (laughs) I died. Christopher the big old fat cat. R.I.P. That was a long time ago. Christopher the cat. I was dying. 336 writes in, Carolina-Miami 2011 ACC tournament game. That's the Miami game for me. We looked it up during the break, and that was the time when North Carolina sleptwalked through, sleptwalked, I don't even know, sleptwalked? Yeah, that's that's a word. Sleptwalked. Sleptwalked. In the first half of that 2011 game, and then they came back from 17 points down, did the same thing against Clemson, Fitty, you remember it well. Yeah, that was a game where Zeller hit a shot like right before the buzzer, Friday, the ACC tournament, back was when the final was played on Sunday. And me and Flat went to different high schools. So I was actually in school, he was out for spring break, and I had him texting me under like the media timeout scores, 
And I was in an ag class at Andrew Jackson High School. Ag. Is, wait, is that AG or agriculture? Agriculture. Okay. <laughs> and when I got the other day that they won, I like I remember I jumped out of my seat in the class, and my teacher, his name was Ashley Young. What you celebrating over there, son? <laughs> and I had to tell him, and he he didn't care. We have a King of the Hill segment coming up a little bit later, and you sounded very King of the Hill-like. Definitely with that did. That tracks for historic Lancaster. That sounds like Hank Hill. Old Ashley <laughs> Young sounds like that. Final Carolina text coming in. Brad in Belmont says, Miami made a lot of contested threes last night. And then he said, Withers is playing well. Needs more minutes. He could get three or four from both Ingram and Baycott and keep them both fresher as he puts it do we like the idea of whether withers showed up in fact he had the big offensive rebound and was the only one that hit free throws after rj davis missed one armando baycott misses two seth trimble misses two and then there's withers like all right i've had enough of this i'm gonna get this rebound and i'm gonna go hit both of my free throws to put the ice on this one so jalen withers he comes out and helps do you like Withers getting more minutes and taking Baycott off the floor less? Uh, no, I don't I don't like that. I mean, okay. Withers is a nice piece. You can put him in for spots every now and again, but you need Ingram, especially the fact that we've seen stretches from these guys where they have looked like the type of players you want them to be. Armando has had games to remind you of the potential that he has. And then Harrison Ingram, too. He was another guy that when Carolina was looking like that team I described at midseason, this was a guy that was putting up double-doubles and making all of the little plays, the hustle plays, the steals, the deflections, all of those things that Carolina needed. And so that has seemed to slow down with him just a little bit as well. But no, I don't think Withers should be taking minutes from either of those two. I mean, they had two are they are arguably, you know, after R.J. Davis, you would ideally go Armando Baycott and Harrison Ingram as far as your second and third options. Withers was good. I'm glad they uh, – that was the thing for me was also laughing at the fact that Carolina erupted after Jalen Withers hit those free throws because it had, it felt like a lifetime since they hit a free throw in that one because they just couldn't ice it. And then finally Jalen Withers was able to do so. Let's move into this Carolina Panther convo and also – talk about what's going on in the text line, which is people telling us their pets names, which I love because some of them are great. We'll read some of those texts <laughs> at the end of this segment because you guys have some great names for your pets. And I want to read those on the FanDuel text line. Feel free to mention it yourself. 704-570-9610. West Joe person of the athletic Mike K of the Charlotte observer each did profiles on new general manager, Dan Morgan. What was some of the stuff that jumped out to you? On Dan, what's something that you want to take us first and foremost because you think this is a big reason as to why he'll be successful or you're questioning what Dan might be as a GM? Well, the first thing that jumped out is how man has the discipline to be down in the city of Miami that I love and adore oh so much. Not go out like that. I'd have a girlfriend. I mean, you got to respect it. This guy, as Damian Lewis put it, was all ball all the time in a city like that. If you can maintain that kind of discipline in the city of Miami, then you are a very disciplined man. So that was first and foremost. That's but, who I want on my team. Yeah, but other than that, uh, you know, when Brandon Bean just talked about how uh, Dan Morgan came in and how he doesn't back down, like when he's 
feeling that he is in his convictions on a prospect that he's going to stand on it no matter what is said. And he said, quote, when you're not making the final decision, you're giving input and you have a loud voice, but you don't have the final voice. He said, so in the decisions that didn't work out, unless you were in that room with Scott, the owner, the head coach, Dan, and whoever else would be in there, you really don't know where he stood. There could be some things that didn't work out that maybe the owner's going, damn, maybe we should have listened to Dan. And so I think that uh, that was interesting in that they, they, they talked about that aspect of it because it made you wonder just, you know, how much input Dan had with the previous regime. But then they also talked about how he fought for, you know, a linebacker for the for the Bills that ended up being a, a pretty good piece for them that was a late-round pick. Uh, they talked about how his work ethic was when he came in from day one. And even though this guy was a stud linebacker in the league, never talks about his playing days always in there asking questions and working as if he is legit an intern that never played in the NFL. And so that kind of blue collar mentality and work ethic that he brings to it, you know that you're going to get 150% from Dan when it comes to trying to rebuild this franchise. They describe that man as a man that works incredibly hard. And that's something, of course, we can value as a fan of the team. You want your general manager to be that guy. The other thing I love is something I've talked about quite a bit. Dan Morgan is not somebody that is only getting this opportunity because he's a Panther legend for what he did on the field. Yes, Dan Morgan put his time in in a bunch of different areas, and that's what I love to see. Because if you think about it, how many guys have his kind of success on the football field that are now general managers. Mm-hmm. You can find these guys on assistant coaching staffs all day long. You can find these types of dudes that go into TV. I mean, plenty of them are in TV because that's the idea. These media outlets, they want to go get the name that you recognize because you as a fan, they're banking on you wanting to hear from Randy Moss. They're banking on you wanting to listen to Tom Brady, and that's why they're going to throw them all of the money. There's a reason they go to the Manning cast, the Hall of Famers that are no-brainers. Those guys always go to TV. General manager is a different game. And Dan Morgan did both the college and pro scouting route with multiple teams before he's named the head guy. I didn't get the sense that he's too closely tied to Scott Fitterer for me to feel a little worried about him being the next general manager. And I know that's a worry for some, and it's understandable. But at least here, with your point that you brought up, What Brandon Bean had to say, he was telling Panthers fans, don't worry about that because ultimately it's not his decision. He can give you his input, but whatever is the end decision, Scott Fitter has to sign off on. So maybe Dan Morgan did disagree at times. And just because he and Scott Fitter are very good friends because of their time in Seattle and, of course, because of their time here in Carolina, it doesn't mean Dan Morgan was just some yes man all the time. I'm sure he did disagree on some stuff. And even if... He like, well, Scott, I see your point. I like this guy. I would go this direction, but that's fine. I'll sign off on him. That's still a disagreement, even if it's just, okay, if you want to roll that way, that's fine enough. I would rather go this route. But even if you can understand where Scott is coming from, you ultimately acquiesce because Scott's the one calling the decisions anyway. Not that Dan Morgan is backing down, but what are you going to do? Argue until you're blue in the face and then just let Scott do whatever he wants to? Like, no, it's, you're going to argue for it and then realize, well, I'm not going to get my first option. So this second option that Scott has as his first, okay, I'll pick my other ba- uh, battles elsewhere. And that's where I'm totally fine with Dan Morgan getting this shot because it's not because he's this legend as a linebacker that's only getting this job because he's going to have his name on the ring of honor one day as a player. 
but also it's because, well, this dude has put in as much time as a lot of these other GMs that get jobs too. Yeah, and so you brought up a good point too in that the perception of him working with Fitter is that he said yes to everything Fitter did. And again, that's something that we don't know. We don't know what he disagreed with and what he agreed with uh, being in that room. But just being a guy, as they said, that would do everything from picking up players, uh, wanted to learn personnel from the grassroots up. This is a well-seasoned guy when it comes to finding football players. Uh, and, and so that's the thing that you love about it. You know, if anything, uh, if he made a mistake, it's not because – like you said, this is a guy they just put up there because he's Panthers legend, Dan Morgan. It's because this guy has paid his dues. He is very well seasoned when it comes to scouting and what it takes uh, from everything from start to finish. And the thing that you do like, too, is that, you know, if he were a guy to come in and just get get this job off the strength of what he did on the field, I think with his with his uh, past that he's had, it's very nuanced now. He knows those pockets of talent to where, oh, I know where they got some players that people kind of sleep on. And I know that this program puts out these kind of guys, and he knows those little secrets. Like uh, the movie Draft Day with Kevin Costner, where they were finding out all these secrets about these players and how their teammates felt about them or uh, different Why things about the program. Birthday? Yeah. <laughs> so I think Dan Morgan's a guy that he's been working so long and scouting for so long that he has those little tricks of the trade and different. He has a different knowledge base than a guy that would just come in and just be saying, oh, yeah, I know football because I was great at it. Yeah, let's go pick a guy from Miami. and pick a guy from all these big schools. He's going to know some of those little things that are going to pay off for the Panthers when he finds that fifth, sixth, seventh round pick that ends up becoming uh, a big time player. I like that we have two factions of fans and their opinions on Dan Morgan. And I don't want to say that there's not a middle ground, but at two ends of the spectrum, you have Darren and you have 806. Darren writes in Walker. Here you go again. Falling for the banana in the tailpipe. Dan Morgan is a yes man. I hope he proves me wrong. 806 says fans calling Dan a yes man was my biggest gripe. <laughs> Panthers fans get off Twitter and educate yourself because Dan is the furthest thing from a yes man. End quote. Two opposite ends of the spectrum. I'm falling for the banana in the tailpipe to believe that just because Dan was working under Scott Fitter, it doesn't mean that he's going to be a carbon copy of what that GM was. Mm -hmm. You're either Darren or you're this other guy that's willing to give Dan Morgan a shot, and he could be the furthest thing from that. I'm at least allowing that opportunity. Because when you have a boss, when you have somebody that has final say, what are you going to do? I mean, you can try to sway him as much as possible, and they rely on their scouts. And I think Scott Fitter has done that. One thing about him that was different than Matt Rule, that was different than maybe even Frank Reich to some people, Fitter was always fine at the podium. He didn't say anything stupid. It's not like he had this lack of accountability. In fact, it was dirty the way Matt Rule did him when Matt Rule saying, you know, Brock Purdy got, you know, nixed when I brought him up and said he should be on the draft board. You know, that one, I got overruled on that one pretty quickly. Why is he Jim Rome? Oh, am I? <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that, was, that was not Matt Rule. Well, I'm not trying to imp – I was trying to go to this voice that I think is kind of dumb. but yeah, it was condescending. I didn't mean – Okay. Didn't, so if Matt Rule is, goodness gracious, I tried to tell the people to put Brock Purdy on the draft board. I was overruled. I'm Matt Rule. <laughs> <laughs> that would be Jim Rome, Matt Rule. But Scott Fitterer said, hey, any pick that Matt Rule had, over, had control over, I was also in the room, and so it's unfair to blame Matt. 
while Matt is doing the exact opposite. That's one thing I'll always respect Scott Fitterer for. But at the end, speaking of the Matt rule, at the end of the day, <laughs> Scott Fitterer still has final say, and we're gonna see we're gonna see Dan's fingerprints all over this thing because he's the lead guy. And in this profile from Mike K, different one, right? Joe Person did one for the Athletic. Mike K did one for the Charlotte Observer. One thing that Josh Klein pointed out was Dan Morgan's not afraid to speak his opinion, even if it goes against David Tepper. Look, I hope that's true. It's great to hear. I can see Dan Morgan being. I agree. What is there anything about this guy that would lead you to believe differently? Yeah. No. You. This is the thing where all the football people should also agree with this too. Well, he's a good old-fashioned linebacker. Yeah, he's not going to take bleep from nobody. <laughs> David Tepper, <laughs> white collar, throwing drinks at somebody. <laughs> Face me like a real man. That's what Dan Morgan would do. That's the kind of background that he has, where he's the first-round pick, yet he still has the chip on his shoulder. He's the guy that comes into training camp where first-round picks, according to Brandon Bean, often feel like they're owed something because they're so talented. And it's cool. Maybe they figure it out a little bit later. But that's not how Dan Morgan operated. This is the guy, as you said, was so disciplined to the point where he didn't have any girlfriends down in Miami. He didn't party. It was a very boring college life because all he cared about was football. He and Damian Lewis, who were teammates at Miami and in Carolina, they ripped the phone out of the wall in the locker room because his teammates were ordering pizza and talking to their girlfriends. Now, we don't have time for that. And what do those guys do? They get picked in the first round back-to-back yep. in the top 15. And now where are they? Damian Lewis is out here coaching, now on Colorado staff, all that. which is excellent. I know he talks with Kyle. That's I I hope we hear more from Damian Lewis just because he's on Deion Sanders' staff, staff now. But also Dan Morgan's leading an NFL franchise. Think about that. that what an incredible life. What an incredible life from Dan, and I'm ready for it. I'll fall for the banana in the tailpipe to give him a shot. I'll be that. Oh, yeah, no That's doubt. Me. I mean, a shot is certainly something he's deserved. I agree. I agree completely. All right, let's move on. Let's move on to somebody else that has worked hard enough to get to a position of power for a great team like the Charlotte Hornets. That man is Steve Clifford, going 5-1 and one since the trade deadline, post-All-Star break. Yeah, been some ugly games, but they're still winning. Is Steve Clifford coaching so well that he's going to be back? Like, not even, oh, he's gaining momentum. No, man, do we just think Steve Clifford is going to be back next year? You'll have to stick around to find out our opinions. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say... They're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, we're reading pet names, and I just got wowed by both. Wes and Fiddy in not a very good way. (laughs) Fiddy was asking me, okay, well, hold on. If these people are telling us their pets' names, then what's your fish's names? Like, do they have many? And I've got a few fish that have names that they're going to be long-lasting. And I have one fish where the species is called a hillstream loach. And so because it's a loach, I said his name is Petey because of Petey Pobloach. That's real. And both of you were like, wow. Yeah. 
if you guys didn't like that. I mean, it's, I a, it's, it. it's a little bit of a stretch, but it still has a little bit of a ring to it. I'm rolling with a Petey, and he's the ruler of the tank, too. So I like I like me some Petey. Petey Pobloach. Petey Pobloach. Yeah, that's what. What does he swing? What does he swing? Yeah, I mean, if he if Petey Pablo took his shirt off and twists it around his head, swinging like a helicopter, then what does he swing? Maybe an algae wafer. Seaweed. Gotcha. Seaweed, something like that, yeah. There we go. There we go. Yeah, take your algae wafer off and wave it around like a helicopter. Mm-hmm. That's okay. what he sings. Would uh, Willie P record Petey Pablo and come to near tears watching him <laughs> float around your aquarium? For the two minutes and 20 seconds allotted on Twitter? Yeah, maybe he would do that. Seriously? I did want to read a few other uh, text messages talking about pet names. Uh, we're scrolling. We have Sid32 writing in that Sid named his pet Sir Funky Dangle. Wow. Okay. Get that name. I feel like I just said something that the FCC wouldn't approve of. I know, but Sir Funk as a short handle is pretty. Yeah, it's a good one. Pretty tight. Has a ginger wife says my 105 pound girl yellow lab is named Earl Squirrel Andy Girl. Yeah, love a good rhyming <laughs> nickname. Does he say that every time he calls said pet's name? Probably not, but I still love it. I met Earl Squirrel and Andy Girl. <laughs> That's a lot to be saying. Uh, Danny on the Hill wrote this one in, Wes. My neighbor slash friend has a big mutt. He's got a dog named Wes. How do you feel about having a dog out there named after you? Uh, you know, I'm not <laughs> I, I'm not surprised, but I like it. I guess, I, I guess I'll say I'm flattered because I was going to say, Walker, hopefully we may get fans that... Uh, like us enough to name their pets after us. I would know? love it. I would welcome it. Walker is not a very good dog name, though. <laughs> I think it is. I think Wes is a better dog name. I don't know, Wes. It I feels like, like a better I name. I like walking in. If they have two dogs, they can name them Wes and Walker. That, I mean, that would be amazing. Yeah. Sorry, Fitty, you don't have a dog named after you. Fitty sounds good, though. I mean, that's fair because they don't want their dog to sound like this. <laughs> It's a rabid dog. That dog, I'm sorry. We did everything we could to save it. It's probably just best to put it out of its misery. We tried. We tried. But that dog, I don't know. I don't know if we could live with that dog around. Um, we can. Uh, you got something else real quickly before we move on, Fiddy? We got a 704 number. Said he's got a cleaner shrimp. He named him Detlef. No. Oh, that is- okay, I like that. That's my favorite text I've seen in quite some time. I figured you'd like that. That is amazing. Detlef shrimp. <laughs> I like that. I if if I didn't need to compose myself, I would laugh a lot harder at that before we need to move on to the next. I used comment. to always say if I did have dogs, I was gonna name it Butch and Snoop because Butch. Yeah. If I had two dogs, because I used to always say I wanted two bulldogs, but you know Butch was always the quintessential name in the Looney Tunes cartoons for every bulldog. It was Butch, and then of course Snoop for obvious reasons. Uh, it's 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 great. Yeah. Like yeah, of course Snoop is a great dog name. Absolutely <laughs> love it. We have three three six writing in. What about Adam LaRoche, the Hillstream Loach? <laughs> That'd be great. I'd love that one too. Oh, uh, we're scrolling, we're scrolling for some more. Yeah, we got another all. Oh, Bebop from Rock Thrill sending a picture of Lulu the pug. Lulu the Pug is a good one. Lulu. 704 says they have a golden retriever named Drizzy Drake. Oh, wait. Did you catch the Lulu the the Pug? Did you catch what that what that means? Yeah, like Lulu the Plug. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paid in full? Yeah, that's yeah. perfect. Okay. No, Lulu the Pug. I tried to say it to her. I know you don't know like that, city, but you know. No, yeah, I, I was thinking of the other, uh, the, the Plug reference from Twitter. And we'll just leave it from, we'll leave it there. I don't know. I don't even know. Sometimes, yeah, I like, don't know where he's going. You know what I'm saying? Like, every, I really, think, y'all don't know about, uh, 
<laughs> do you want to leave it there? Yeah. <laughs> you can tell us during the break. How about that? Okay. Please, please do that. All right. <laughs> we, we need to move on, but everybody that is writing in your pet's name, I love it. We've got some ex- Dallas Shrimp. I am in love That's with That's the winner text. right now. That is so good. We will get to some of these pet names in just a moment, but they're excellent. All right, let's go back to the Charlotte Hornets. Steve Clifford has been doing it once more. Here we are, back-to-back years. After a certain point, once the young bees go out there, they're going to lead the NBA in defensive rating. It's happening again. Like I saw one metric where you have this grid, and then you see the Hornets plot point. And it's going through the timeline of how the season has gone so far. Mm -hmm. And they're just in the lower left quadrant, which is the worst quadrant you can be in for defensive rating all season long. And they're just here. They're in the corner. They're the worst team. Okay, now they're like third to last. Nope, they're last again. And then the last six games, they just shoot all the way up. It's like they get shot out of a catapult. Boom, all the way up at the top. It's the same thing that happened last year, except last year, It happened with at least Mark Williams, who was drafted to be your defensive anchor. You didn't have Nick Smith Jr. You didn't have Nathan Mensah. You didn't have JT Thor as much. I guess you did have JT Thor playing. But here, you get some veterans that deserve to be out there on an NBA court. But Oklahoma City, they're just too good. Dallas, they're looking to contend, too. So it's tough for those guys to get any run. But now they're buying into the system. Brandon Miller also playing good defensively. And here they are once more. Wes... It shows you at least a little bit if these young guys buy in and you're going to have a lot of young players and if they respond well to what Steve at least is saying in the post all-star break portion of the season, is Steve Clifford just coming back? You've been a fan of it. Do you think it actually happens with Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall? Uh, oh, with the new ownership, do I think it's going to happen? I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say, yeah, I think they bring him back because I think they know what he was up against earlier. And I think that the rest of this season is going to go a long way towards that. We already know that the players on this team uh, really enjoy him as a coach. We've heard what LaMelo's had to say and Miles and Brandon Miller and all these guys. So I think that's going to be huge, too. But I think also, too, they want to see tangible results to see if we keep this guy. Is it going to go in the right direction? So that's the thing. What does the record look like post-All-Star break? Well, I guess they will judge it by what did the record look like after the trades, okay? AT, you know, you got uh, uh, the different dates in the, in the Bible and then the before Christ and after Christ. So it's going to be <laughs> after the trades, okay. AT, okay? okay? And so what, what does that look Instead like? Instead of AD, maybe ATD? After trade deadline. Yep, we can do that ATD. So uh, that's what I think is going to be big about it because you don't want to see the wheels fall off and them start to revert back to what they once were. And I think LaMelo coming back obviously is going to be huge towards that because the defensive piece is starting to look good there. But the thing is, when LaMelo returns, does the defensive rating regress a little bit? And then offensively, though, you want to see uh, things come up because over the last five contests, even though they've been playing really well, they're 26 in offensive rating. And so that's the piece where I feel like, Walker, to your point yesterday, when you said, hey, they've gone as far as they can go without Melo. Now they need Melo back to put some more punch in that offense and to be able to make the game easier on other guys to make that offensive efficiency rating go up. In theory, you would like it to be Steve Clifford here with a young crop of guys, which is what you still have with Brandon Miller, with LaMelo Ball, with whoever this first-round pick is going to be, which is probably, I mean, I don't know, top seven, top eight. We'll see how much the Hornets win. But you're still going to have a pretty young group of players. And so, in theory, you give them Steve Clifford, who just needs to teach them good old-fashioned discipline and defensive-minded strategies and making sure that they can actually 
play on one end of the floor and then be creative on the offensive end because LaMelo already has that. Brandon Miller (laughs) already has it too, just here as a rookie. And then you hopefully get Mark Williams back. And I almost view it as a possible like Tom Thibodeau type thing where he may overstay his welcome, but at least he gets those guys playing the right way. And then if he wanes on him, then oh well, like he moves on and he goes and coaches a different team and does the same thing. There isn't really that track record with Steve Clifford, but he's also not been given great rosters. The one roster that he got that was postseason worthy, well, he actually he got one with the Hornets, and then he took him to a seven-game series against Miami. I don't even know how much he got one with Orlando. He just brought him there. And then Orlando wins the first game against the champion Toronto Raptors, and then they get beat every game after that. I'm good. If I get one game against Toronto, Fitty's boy, DJ Augustine, hitting a game-winning three, Yeah, that'll do from Steve Clifford. Yeah. So if you have him here and then you just push the timeline back a little bit, it was supposed to start the last couple of seasons. Now we have to push it back because of all the injuries. And now you got a new crop of guys coming in after the deadline. If Steve Clifford is here for the beginning of whatever this iteration is, and then you're here for building and building and building. And I don't even know if you have to add the third one. Maybe it's just two years. I don't know. But if you see progress with what Steve Clifford's able to do, that makes sense to me. I, I'm one where I'd be cool with them just cleaning slate and moving on, getting an assistant young coach and just taking that route. It's a little more traditional. It's weird to have Steve Clifford here a second time and still stay here for so long. Speaking of cats, feels like he has nine lives, especially if he gets this job once more. But I've seen enough from Steve Clifford to where, okay, the guys like him a lot. And if so much of this is relationship building, he's clearly done that as well. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. I feel like, yeah, there could be some better alternatives out there. But again, it's the type of situation where if you look at it from a realistic standpoint, you're going to say, well, how many coaches could have made the best out of what was here before with this locker room and the immaturity that was there and all of those things? What coach could come in and do something with it? Because you've seen two coaches now uh, have similar results, whether you talk about Clifford and what was happening uh, since he took the job up until now, or you talk about James Borrego, even though this team got to the playoffs, they took a little bit uh, of, you know, they took a dive since then. And, and even yet, and still when they were making the playing game, you still felt like maybe they weren't quite reaching their potential because the same issues that were there then were still there when Clifford got there and into his tenure, where you talk about the defense, the defense, the rebounding and playing soft as Clifford uh, put it at times. And so now that he's got some guys that can kind of change that culture, it would just be interesting to see what he could actually do uh, if he's able to get the roster, have everybody healthy with some of these new additions. You can keep texting us your pet names on the FanDuel text line, 704-570-9610. sent in a multi-poo named Julius Peppers. And the picture is okay. fantastic. Yeah, I think athletes' names are definitely common. You have a ton of mm-hmm. people that name their pets after athletes. Yeah, somebody wrote in that they named. It was a Michael the 49er fan, your boy, named his German Shepherd Willis after Patrick Willis. Okay. And so you got some athlete there go. names there. The Detlef Shrimp thing comes from Parks and Rec. A series I'm ashamed to say I haven't seen. Most it's people, solid. Most, I haven't pe- either. most people get on me for that one, though. I haven't seen it, but I love it, so maybe I check it out just for that joke alone. Copeland, a.k.a. Jokeland, says, My younger son's Yorkie was serious after Sirius Blackwell from Harry Potter. Oh. So you can continue to write in some of them. We'll get to some. Oh, I need to read this one real quickly. Randy from Orlando. Black goldfish that kills any other fish you put in with it. His name is Nino Brown. 
I don't know if he means. <laughs> I don't know if it's like ne- Nemo Brown. I don't know if that's what he meant, but either one would work. Nino Brown, Nemo Brown would be great. I like but it's that. hilarious. It's fantastic. Two more hours to go on the Wesson Walker Show. You know it's time for the Campus Corner. Coming up next, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.